This is In Hindsight, Half a Century of Research Discoveries in Canadian History, presented by Dr. Donald B. Smith and produced by the Ontario Historical Society. great pleasure to be presenting another episode today and today a special treat it's a very very colorful dynamic woman Annie Glenn Browder who is extraordinary and I discovered her gosh well some years ago and have returned to the topic on several occasions the best example is the Dictionary of Canadian Biography sketch, which is on the web, which I did with Ron Bond. And that is really good because Ron knows music. He is incredibly well-informed. He was one of our important university administrators, originally an English prof, but with a passion, a hobby, of being music, organ music particularly. And that's what this wonderful woman was. She was an organist, as well as many other things as well. With great pleasure, I begin the episode today about Annie Glenn Browder. I'd like to begin with this reference to Calgary's foremost accompanist, teacher, music critic, and composer in the early 20th century. She came to Calgary in 1903 from England via Regina, and I'll go into those details in a minute. But first, I want to begin with her stirring march, which is really her signature. She was very proud of it. It is entitled Ride of the Royal Northwest Mounted Police, and she produced it in Calgary in 1906, and very proud of it. She sent a copy to the former Governor General of Canada, who she'd met two years earlier in Calgary, at when he came to Calgary to lay the cornerstone of the Anglican, the future Anglican Cathedral, the Cathedral Church of the Redeemer. So they'd met in 1904. Two years later, she's done this march in honor of the Mounties, and she sends it to Earl Mento former Governor General of Canada, and now in 1907, the Governor General of India. So, my big discovery, one of the greatest pleasures of my latter-day retirement, I'm well into it now, but I found, I was familiar with Annie Glenn, but I didn't know about this letter until, oh, jeepers, probably a week ago, and it's wonderful. It's a photostat copy of the letter. It's from the Governor General, the Viceroy of India, Earl Minto written from Government House, Calcutta. And I'd like to read it to you. I just I just love it. And this letter is to Annie Glenn Browder, the composer of the ride of the Royal Northwest Mounted Police. I must apologize for not having thanked you before for sending me your song, The Ride of the Royal Northwest Mounted Police. Stress of work being my only excuse. I hope you accept my best wishes for the song, which I am delighted to have, and which will remind me of the splendid force with which I have spent so many happy days. Believe me, 
Yours very truly, Minto. I am looking forward to hearing it sung. The words are excellent. Well, this is quite extraordinary. Extraordinary letter from the Viceroy of India. Who was this woman that he was writing to? This strong, talented woman, Annie Glenn, who rose to such heights in her new city. A city, a town really, only founded a mere 18 years before her arrival in 1903. A little bit of history on Cal about Calgary. Do a little bit of background before we return to Annie Glenn. The Northwest Mounted Police established what is now known as Calgary at the junction of the Elbow and Bow Rivers. It was established as a police post in 1875. After the CPR, Canadian Pacific Railway, reached the tiny hamlet in August 1883, it began to grow into a genuine pioneer town a supply center for ranchers, then farmers. In the early 20th century, Calgary's steady rate of growth gained extraordinary speed. Between 1901 and 1911, the city's population grew tenfold, from roughly 4,000 in 1901 to 44,000 in 1911. So Annie Glenn arrived just when the big boom in Calgary was beginning. Into this frontier setting stepped a woman in her mid-40s of great accomplishment in British musical circles. Well, that set the stage. What did she look like? Annie Glenn was of stately bearing, to quote one of her former Calgary students. She was an attractive woman who favored Victorian-era clothes. She was a true child of the British Empire, born in India in the fortress of Agra near the Taj Mahal. Her father was a missionary who had was said to have been a Calgary officer at the time of her birth. Her paternal grandfather, another William Glenn, had been a Scottish missionary who had translated the Bible into Persian. When Annie was but a small child in the early 1860s, her widowed mother relocated from India to Southgate, then a village just north of London. Why Southgate? Well, perhaps because it could boast of a very distinguished resident at that time. In retirement, Sir John Lawrence, a former Governor General of India in the mid-1860s, lived there. He'd chosen it as his retirement home. So that's where Annie's mother and herself Establish themselves. As early as 12, the musically talented Annie played for village church services and accompanied singers at local concerts in the neighboring village of Wood Green. Very early in her musical training, the clever young woman won a scholarship to the National Training School of Music, which later became known as the Royal College of Music in London. At the time, Arthur Sullivan of Gilbert and Sullivan fame, the famous operetta team, served as the principal of the school. At the school, Annie was educated both as a singer and as a pianist. Her talents were impressive. Sullivan invited her to early productions of the shows he created with William Gilbert. And in May 1877, Annie was present at London's Royal Albert Hall for performance of, of Richard Wagner's music with the composer himself, the great Wagner. 
himself conducting. Sir Arthur Sullivan later described his clever student as, quote, a woman of exceptional gifts. In the 1880s and 1890s, Glenn enjoyed a busy career. She gave many recitals throughout Britain, performing songs by Alexander Campbell Mackenzie, principal of the Royal Academy of Music, and Gilbert Foray, amongst others. She had an association as well with the Hereford Philharmonic Concerts, and later recorded in a memoir, unfortunately very short, it's only five pages, but she records in this, it's now in the, in the University of Calgary's Glenbow Western Research Centre, with others' papers of Annie's. It's a small collection, but it's a very valuable one. In any case, in this five-page memoir, she mentions that she did meet at in, in the Hereford Philharmonic concert, she did met the orchestra's second violinist. And this is quite extraordinary. He was about the same age that she was. At this point, he's a young, uh, he's the second violinist was a young man about her age. And at this stage, Edward Elgar, that's his name, unknown, basically. Well, not very well known. Two decades or so later, he would be renowned as a composer of majestic and martial music, one of England's greatest composers. She was also acquainted with such individuals as the pianist and composer Otto Goldsmith and his wife, the celebrated singer, legendary singer, Jenny Lind. One of Annie's teachers was John Stainer, chiefly famous for his contributions as a composer, organist, and musicologist in the field of church music. Well, Annie became a popular lecturer in the late 19th century in Britain. She um, gave talks on piano accompaniment in several British cities. She had a talent for writing as well as public speaking. In 1889, Oscar Wilde, famous Oscar Wilde, then editor of the Woman's, Mag the Woman's World magazine, accepted two of her articles. So she knew Oscar Wilde. One contribution she made to his magazine, an excellent introduction to her thought and quality of her writing, is the piece, quote, Dramatic Singing as a Career for Women. And I'd like to quote just one short passage from the 1890 issue of The Woman's World, in which she describes the ideal, from her vantage point, of how a student should begin. Quote, the student would do well to learn some modern language. Add to the store of musical knowledge in every possible way. And devote a portion of time to exploring the treasures of history, poetry, and romantic literature from which are drawn in endless combinations the characters and incidents of modern drama. With a great artist is usually born a strong instinct of inquiry, which seeks food everywhere for the imaginative faculty. Wow. <laughs> There's Annie Glenn at her top, top notch. Just very insightful, very, very powerful. The, her, her idea, her, her, Advice for young students of music. During the early 1890s, Annie wrote stories headed by brief musical scores for the magazine Little Folks. At this point, perceiving the lack of an authoritative textbook on piano accompaniment, she became determined to create one. Despite the advice from, from others, supposedly, 
more knowledgeable, including Sullivan and Stainer themselves, they claimed that such a manual was impossible to produce. Well, that's not good enough for Annie. She continued on. In 1893, she published her book, How to Accompany, which was brought, brought out in an expanded edition in 1894, uh, later reprinted in 1905. The Illustrated London News praised the work, and Annie, again, I know this from the collection of her papers that in, in, at the University of Calgary, Annie cut out the reference, because it's there, and placed it along with others in her scrapbook, the reviews of her, of her book. Well, the Illustrated London News was quite extremely positive and wrote, the work supplies a long-felt net, a long-felt want, and the pianists who are called upon to accompany either voice or solo instrument will do well to give it careful study. Well, Annie, well, very proud of that one. Annie forward Queen Victoria herself a copy of her book. And the book was acknowledged from Her Majesty the Queen at Windsor Castle on March 4th, 1895. The message which Annie included in the scrapbook reads, quote, The Queen has been pleased through Lieutenant Colonel Biggs to convey to Miss Annie Glenn her thanks for a copy of her work, How to Accompany, and to express her interest in the work. Wow. <laughs> The book was intended as a practical handbook that progressively considers musical works of great difficulty. The author refers to accompanying as a science rather than an art, and she advises practical skills that are still very much part of being an effective accompanist. Well, new development. She married at this stage in her life. Her mother had been very ill, and she was looking after her mother uh, in the late 1890s, a considerable amount of time. But um, then, unfortunately, she passed away. And uh, at that point, Annie married. She married Richard Broder, an Irish widower. And he had already moved to Canada. Uh, they had apparently met in Britain many years before. Uh, he's described as an, ed quote, educated gentleman. He'd been a teacher in England, but now lived in Western Canada. And he invited Annie to marry. And it seems, well, it's known for unknown reasons. She accepted his proposal. So off to Canada. 19, just, just at the turn of the century, Annie was off in a new adventure, in a new country. A country she'd adopt with all her usual gusto and enthusiasm. In Saskatchewan, she went first, the Broders went first to Saskatchewan, to Regina. Uh, actually, they, they were there three years, approximately three years. In Saskatchewan, Annie gave lessons and worked with Colonel Dennis, then the Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Department of Public Works. They worked together on a production of Gilbert and Sullivan's celebrated operetta, HMS Pinafore. In 1903, the Broders moved further west when Denny, now employed by the Canadian Pacific Railway, invited her to Calgary. He was an avid lover of music. Dennis, my apologies. Dennis is an avid uh, enthusiast for music, and he had been transferred, uh, had moved, got a new job with the CPR in Calgary, and um, he, he, he invited Annie to come to Calgary. Her husband took up ranching while she instantly became the central figure 
in the city's small musical universe as the organist at the pro-cathedral church of the Redeemer. That's the Anglican Cathedral. In the city, she'd become, very quickly, a highly regarded teacher, recitalist, composer, and music critic for several Calgary newspapers. One of the delights of my research career, <laughs> several a decade or so earlier, was to meet one of Annie Glenn's students. And she, her name was Muriel Preston. Uh, she later married Alberta's future premier, Ernest Manning. And I, I, she was very gracious. I met her. We talked several times about her teacher, whom she recalled as wonderful teacher, a wonderful teacher, strict. And here's the key quote, strict, but willing to let students give personal interpretations of a composition. In short, she would allow you to have your own voice. Now that is the mark of a wonderful teacher. In 1904, Annie worked again with Dennis, this time on a premiere, Canadian premiere, of Samuel Coleridge Taylor's The Atonement. Other productions followed. She became involved in projects such as Calgary's National Music Week and the Alberta Music Festival. She was a prolific author as well. When her husband died in 1924, the obituary in the Calgary noted that he had been the husband of Annie Glenn Browder. That was his claim to fame. The titles of her compositions and poems indicate her commitment to Canada, her adopted land. Now, I've already mentioned the, her march, one of her pop, most popular piece, pieces, The Ride of the North, Royal Northwest Mountain Police. This became part of the repertoire of the forces' bands for many years. It was apparently in, inspired by the Northwest Mountain Police veteran, Cecil Denny, who just completed in 1905, when it was published by the Calgary Herald, his book, The Riders of the Plains, a reminiscence of the early and exciting days in the Northwest. It's a first-hand account of the Northwest Mountain Police. In this book, he makes very clear his sympathy for the First Nations as they struggle to adjust to the incoming settlers. Yet, this proponent of gradual change still believed that assimilation was necessary, and he supported residential schools to achieve it. Annie Glenn totally captured the heroic narrative of the Mountie story in her march. Just to quote her opening, Who ride fast and who ride far, from the Rockies to the border? All the cattle thieves know the boys we are before we deal with them in short order. Annie's faith in the integrity of the Northwest Mountain Police was absolute. She followed completely the spirit of Denny in his book, The Riders of the Plains. As Canadian historian and a former colleague of mine, the late Henry Clausen wrote in his 1974 essay, The Mounties and the Historians, quote, to Denny, the police were grand men, the embodiment of courage, firmness, and justice. There was another narrative, one that Annie did not learn, to the best of my knowledge. One of her, uh, but she could, she had a chance to. I don't know, since one of the, so much in this business, the, the history business, there's a lot of un, uh, blanks. This is one of them. I don't know if she learned the other narrative, but she had not uh, an opportunity to. She was a great enthusiast, a great supporter of the Boy Scout movement, 
And in fact, on request in the mid-1920s, she wrote the foreword for the new Scout book for Alberta. Annie endorsed the Boy Scout movement, quote, while giving personal pleasure, it inspires patriotic ideals, manly acts, and willing service for others. Well, the chance for learning another version of the Mounties' contribution, one from the First Nations perspective, came in 19, the late 1920s. Actually, the real moment was 1931, when a French scout visited Calgary. His name was Paul Coos. He was, Paul Coos was one of the founders of the French scouting movement and a prominent member at this point, 1928. He first visited, he came to Calgary four years later, but in 28, that was his first visit to Western Canada. And on that visit, he he had started because he's a European, many European people are very enthusiastic about uh, indigenous people, and and uh, certainly uh, Paul Coase was one of them. Uh, and he was a scout, and um, he was he, he had this dream. He's in his mid 20s, he wanted to come to Canada and speak to elders on Plains Reserves. Paul Coase, however, came to central Saskatchewan in 1928 and soon found the elders did not wish to meet him. Oh, he was crushed. This is incredible. Come all the way from France and he couldn't talk to the elders and wondered what was going on. It was not at all clear. He approached Father Joseph Poulet, the French-Canadian principal of the neighboring Indian residential school at Le Stock in central Saskatchewan. And Father Poulet got the answer. He found out everywhere Coase went, he wore his scout hat and uniform. Consequently, judging from his appearance, the First Nations naturally believed him to be a Mountie or a member of the Canadian military seeking to enlist them then or later. Until Father Poulet explained who Coase really was, the elders wanted nothing to do with him. So Annie had a chance to hook into that narrative. I don't know. He Coase came to Calgary in 1931. He visited famous... Leslie Sarah, a big prominent figure in the scouting movement in Calgary, and I don't know, I it's not unrecorded. Isn't that the horrible word in, in historical writing? Unrecorded. We don't know. In any case, it's a, it's an interesting counter story to it. And he bought into the heroic, heroic narrative. And of course, as it was any topic, there are other versions as well, other interpretations, other perspectives. Uh, but certainly the Mounties made an enormous contribution. But Variant, various. There has been, of course, discussion of, of overall, and uh, that Annie was probably not informed about. Uh, Annie wrote other songs in addition to the ride of the Royal Northwest Mount Police. She wrote the Song of the Chinook, Northern Harvest, and Calgary City of the Foothills. Oh, she was busy. She was. I don't know. The word that sticks in my mind that just jumps back and forth with me is indefatigable. That wonderful word. She was indefatigable. Endless, endless, endless energy. I'm, jeepers, I just can't believe all she did. Because she's teaching, she's the organist, she's, but she's also reviewing these performances. When uh, Performances of local, local singers and musicians visiting Calgary. Uh, for example, this is a uh, Kathleen Parlow. She was actually born in Calgary. She was a famous violinist. She 
reviewed her performances when she came to Calgary. Percy Granger, uh, Yasa Heifetz, Sergei Rachmaninoff, believe it or not, Rachmaninoff performed in Calgary in 1925. Almita Gorsi, Fritz Kreisler, London String Quartet. These, she, she, she did the reviews as, as well as doing everything else. And she also gave talks on music and culture. On top of all of this, Annie Glenner, Annie Glenn Browder, made several extended trips to England. At the coronation of Edward VII in 1902, she had been a special co- correspondent for the Globe and for the Globe, not yet the Globe, still it was just the Globe, the Toronto Globe, and the Manitoba Free Press, later the Winnipeg Free Press. She was a special correspondent at Edward VII's coronation. And in 1911, she wrote about George V's coronation for the Winnipeg Free Press. It had changed in the early 30s. The Manitoba Free Press becomes the Winnipeg Free Press. For the Herald, she reported on the opening of Canada House in London in 1925 and on the celebration of the 60th anniversary of Confederation at a service in Westminster Abbey two years later. Annie Glenn Browder passed away in 1937 after contracting pneumonia. The Calgary Herald described her as a figure of Victorian elegance, retaining a Dresden-like distinction when she swept down the aisle at concerts to her critic's chair, her befeathered hat swathed in pale pink tulle was known to half the audience. End of quote. Frank Harvey, president of the Calgary Symphony's board, paid her this tribute, quote, her influence was far-reaching and her musical knowledge apparently inexhaustible. As a musician, critic, author, and gifted teacher, Annie Glenn Browder had a rich and rewarding creative life in both England and Canada, at a time when women had few opportunities for career advancement. In southern Alberta, this accomplished, very self-assured Englishwoman made a major contribution In the early 20th century, the influential and imposing Annie Glenn Browder reigned supreme as the Grand Dame of Music in Calgary. Overall, the best source for this sketch is one, well, most extensive, I think the fullest, by all means, the sketch that Ron Bond, my colleague at the University of Calgary, now also retired like me, Ron and I did a sketch of Annie for the Dictionary of Canadian Biography, a wonderful reference source. And that source, uh, you check under Annie Glenn Browder, and you'll find the sketch. It's completed, uh, it's on the web, and several years ago, it's available free of charge, anytime, anywhere, on the website of the Dictionary of Canadian Biography. I highly recommend it. And I owe so much to Ron for the understanding in this episode of the references to music because he is an expert (laughs) and i'll stick i stick to the other other sections uh ron is i've relied on him a great deal for this and uh want very much to make known my gratitude thank you